morning. My name's Hayley. I'm one of the team here. I want to welcome you if you're a first-time guest. You're at Elam Christian Centre Manurewa. We're so pleased you could join us tonight. At our 5 p.m. service, we do things a little bit differently. We just do worship and the Word. So I'm going to get around the Word of God, and then we'll get into it. Is that all right? Our text tonight comes from John 11, verses 33 to 36. This is what it says. Jesus speaking. He says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word and we pray, oh God, that it would encourage us, that it would correct us, that it would challenge us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Can I be honest with you, church? Sometimes I feel like Jesus is so profound that he loses me. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever read any sayings of Jesus or anything in the Word of God and you've thought to yourself, oh, that sounds good. That sounds amazing. That sounds profound. That sounds like something that I should really grasp a hold of. But honestly, it's lost me. I've no idea what is trying to be said. I have to admit to you that a couple of months ago, I read this text, the one I just read out to you, and I thought, oh, Jesus, that sounds good. I thought, this sounds important. This sounds like something that I need to know. But unfortunately, Jesus, you've lost me. It's so profound that I actually feel like I have no idea what is being said. I don't know if I'm the only person. I feel like I'm not in a room of encouragement. You're like, no, we always know what the Bible is saying. We always read, okay, for sure. Now, if anyone is like me in the room and you read something in Scripture and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I didn't quite understand it. Can I just say that that is not a moment where you should get discouraged, okay? That's not a moment where you should feel like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't be reading my Bible. This is only for people who are smarter than me. No, every time you read your Bible and you feel confused, that is an opportunity to dig a little deeper. It is an open door to lean into something because honestly, there is understanding waiting for you on the other side of the grapple. So often when we read something we don't understand, instead of pressing in, we gloss over, you know, or we pretend we didn't read it. We skip very quickly to the verse that we know we're going to understand. And if we do so, if that's the substance of our Bible reading, then we are missing an opportunity to dig deep and learn something more about us and something more about the great God that we get to worship. And so when I hit this text and I thought to myself, my goodness, this is so profound. I don't understand it. I took the opportunity to dig a little deeper. Now, so often when it comes to our Bible reading, you feel a little bit intimidated by it. I might say, oh, dig a bit deeper, but you're like, well, Haley, how do I even begin to do that? Well, can I tell you that toddlers have cracked the code in how you go deeper in the Word of God? 
Because the way that you go deeper in the Word of God is that you master a question that every two-year-old is fantastic at asking. Do you know what that question is? Why? It's profound, isn't it? Every two-year-old knows how to ask it, and then we become adults and we forget it. But the question why is fundamentally important to your Bible reading. And this text is a great example. So what I'm going to do today, if it's okay with you, is I'm going to step you through four why questions that I believe unlock this text, that give us new understanding of this text. But also, can I tell you that in the process, this text becomes incredibly, incredibly challenging to our Christian journey. Is that all good? The first question that you need to ask when you come up with a text like this, when Jesus is saying things that are too profound to be understood, is this is what you ask. You ask, why did Jesus tell that story? What occasion brought that about? Why would Jesus be telling a parable using an illustration about eyes and lamps and light and darkness? Why would he be even telling a story like that? And to answer that question is actually quite easy. You just read up in the text and then you read down. You read the verses above it and you read the verses below it. You read what we call the context. And that in Bible reading is called the literary context, the part of the text that this passage finds itself in. And this is what you find as you read the movement of the scripture. You find that it begins in verse 14 and Jesus is doing a miracle. On the screens, let's look at what it says. It says, Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And when the demon left, the man who had been mute mute spoke and it says that the crowd was amazed but it goes on to say that some of them said by Beelzebub the prince of demons he is driving out demons others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven this is what this story is saying it says that Jesus has just performed a profound miracle oh excuse me I told you I'm getting used to the chair. I've kicked around the pulpit. Goodness gracious. Jesus has performed a profound miracle. He has delivered a boy, cast a demon out of someone. And it says that he has done this in front of a crowd. Now a crowd is a group that is mixed. Among this crowd, you're going to have some followers of Jesus. You're going to have some people who are on the fence, who are still making a decision about who this Jesus is. You're going to have some scribes and some Pharisees. And it says that among the crowd, there is three reactions. Some people are amazed. They're like, oh my gosh, we have witnessed a miracle and it is incredible. Other people are critical of the miracle. And if you ever notice that wherever God is moving and the miraculous is being poured out, there's always a critic amongst the crowd. And this critic is saying, oh no, 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 no. This wasn't done by supernatural. Uh, this wasn't done by the finger of God or the hand of God. This was done by Beelzebub, who was the prince of demons. Then the next group have a different reaction. They say, Jesus, I still need you to show me a sign. And in the next amount of text, what we see is that Jesus responds to both of these criticisms. He responds to the people who criticize the miracles by doing a teaching about how a house divided against itself will not stand. And then straight after that, he addresses the other group. He addresses the group that have asked for a sign. 
Now, very interestingly, this text is recorded in both the book of Matthew and also the book of Luke. And Matthew has a number of different additions or details that we don't see in Luke's gospel, but we also don't see in Matthew the story about the lamp and the eye and the light and the darkness. But what Matthew tells us about this text is that the people who were criticizing the miracles and the people who were asking for a sign were Pharisees. It's an important detail that I want you to remember. And so what Jesus is doing is that having addressed these people who have been saying that his miracle is invalid because it's being performed by the wrong power, he then moves on to address the other group who are asking for the sign. And this story about the lamp and the eye and the light and the darkness addresses the group who are asking for a sign. What that's telling us is that Jesus is telling the story for the people who have said, show me a sign. Suddenly, this text becomes more relatable to you and I, doesn't it? Because have you ever asked God for a sign? What's a sign? A sign is some visual mark or action that contains an unmistakable message. And here the Pharisees are essentially saying to Jesus, We haven't had enough confirmation to believe you are who you say you are. We haven't had enough confirmation to accept your correction and your rebuke. We haven't had enough proof that you are the promised Messiah. And so for us to surrender ourselves, for us to obey, for us to do what you're asking us to do, we're going to need more proof. Let me say it again. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Have you ever asked God for something that will make you do that which honestly you do not want to do? Have you ever said, Lord, if you really want me to quit my job, show me a sign. Or have you ever said, Lord, if you really want me to take this step, show me a sign. Or have you ever said, Lord, if you really want me to have that conversation with that person, show me a sign. Have you ever said, Lord, if you really want me to obey, this is what you're saying. You're saying, I need more proof. I need more proof than you've already given me. Show me a sign. Let's look at how Jesus responds, shall we? As the crowds increased, Jesus said, here we go. This is a wicked generation. Oh dear. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. To the request for another sign, Jesus basically goes, yeah, nah. (laughs) Sorry about it. We're not going to do this. And this should, of course, give us the second sign, uh, the second why, which unlocks the passage. And the second why is, why is no sign given? Why is no sign given? Well, Jesus shows us why no sign is given by using this story, by using this illustration, by the text that I read out earlier. I'm going to read it again. He says, no one, this is why I'm not going to give you a sign. He says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. 
Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now here, he is talking about his life and his ministry, okay? Jesus is the light that has not been hidden under a stand, but has been put on display for everyone to see. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying in order for you to see, you need to have two ingredients. You have to have a light source and you have to have a healthy eye. In order for you to see, if there is no light and this room is in darkness, we will be in darkness. Because in order for there to be sight, there must be light. But that's not the only ingredient, he says, that enables sight. He says you don't just need light, you also need a healthy eye. Friends, you could have all the light in the world, but if your eye was unhealthy, if your eye wasn't good, you would not be able to see nothing. And so if someone can't see, there is one of two problems. Either there's not enough light or your eye is unhealthy. Now, Jesus is saying, he's like, since I've come to earth, my life, my ministry, my call has been on display for all to see. Jesus is saying, listen, I haven't been hidden. I've been out in public doing miracles, teaching anyone who would come, giving a proclamation of the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus is saying. This is why I can't stay seated. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, there's no problem with the light source. There's no problem with the light source. And so if you can't see, the problem isn't that there's a lack of light. The problem is that there's an unhealthy eye. Friend, this is what you need to ask yourself if you're asking for more proof. You need to ask yourself if there is enough light, then what's the problem with my eye? Do you have a light problem? Or do you have an eye issue? Friend, I have journeyed, can I just say this, with a lot of young adults. I love journeying in discipleship with young adults. One of the things that I hear the most from young adults is this. I'm not hearing from God. God isn't speaking to me about what I should do. And then they recount story after story, impression after impression. Correction after correction. And friend, there must be a point you come to where you say, the problem is not with the light source. The problem is with the way I'm viewing it. The problem is with the filter that I'm seeing it through. What's interesting about this text is that it describes the eye as healthy. But in other translations, the word is good. It says you need a good eye. And there was an old school Jewish proverb which talked about how a good eye, if a man had a good eye, he was a generous person. In other words, a good eye was actually about a good heart. Friend, if I have an eye issue, the truth is I have a heart issue. Because have you ever noticed that a change in heart always, always means a change in outlook? Have you ever noticed that when you change your heart, you change your perspective? Have you ever noticed that when you change your heart, you change the way you view something? Friend, have you ever noticed how different that friend 
who was so annoying looks on the other side of you forgiving them? Why? Because a change in heart creates a change in outlook. Have you ever noticed how different your spouse looks once the misunderstanding is cleared up? Ooh, hello. Not talking about anyone, not looking at anyone. Have you ever noticed how different people look once you start healing from bitterness? Oh, let me give you one. Have you ever noticed how different the church looks when you start healing from church hurt? Because a change in heart is always evidenced by a change in outlook, a change in the way you view things. And so all of this begs the question, what is the problem with the heart of those who are asking for a sign? And this, of course, leads to the next why question. This is what you've got to ask for the text. Why are they asking for a sign in the first place? And friend, this question, can I just say, is absolutely vital. Because if you ever find yourself in a place where you are asking God or saying to God, God, I need more proof. I need more confirmation before I act on this thing that I know you're calling me to do. Before I surrender more or before I follow better or before I lay that thing down. If you've ever asking for a sign, this is the question that you need to ask yourself. You need to ask, why am I asking? Why am I asking for a sign in the first place? If he's the light of the world and light is on display for all to see, then why do I need more proof to follow him into the thing that I don't want to do? Why do I need more proof in order to follow Jesus? And this is where we need to remember that the people who were asking Jesus for a sign were Pharisees. They were Pharisees. And who were Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees, you, I would call them the religious people of the day, but I'm going to give a bit more context around that because if you know anything about the ancient Near East, like the Jewish people are a religious society. But what I mean when I say that the Pharisees were the religious people of the day is that if you were to ask an everyday, ordinary Jewish person who lived in this day and age, who are the most spiritual people? Who are the most esteemed people? Who are the most honoured people? Who will be the first Jewish people to get to heaven? They would have said the Pharisees. The Pharisees were on top of the heap. They were considered the cream of the spiritual crop. And as such, they were esteemed and respected by the people. In other words, they were the main beneficiaries of a system that Jesus came to turn upside down. They were the main beneficiaries of a religious system that Jesus would totally rework. They thought... The status quo was working for them. They thought that what was going on was of benefit to them. And so when they're asking for a sign, friend, they are not genuinely seeking. They are not asking because they're open to believing. They are not asking because they're looking to follow or be obedient they are not asking for a sign to believe. They're asking for an excuse to stay the same. 
More than that, they're actually asking for a sign that they can use against Jesus. Friend, we need to face up to the reality that sometimes we don't ask for a sign because we're looking for a reason to change. Sometimes we ask for a sign because we're looking for a reason to stay the same. Give me a reason, Jesus, to not do the thing that I don't want to do. Give me a reason not to obey. Give me a reason not to surrender. Give me a reason not to accept the correction. Give me a reason, give me a sign that I can stay exactly as I am because I think the status quo is working for me. I feel like what I have benefits me more than anything Jesus could offer me. Perhaps that's why Jesus says in Luke 11.35, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Friend, when we think that the status quo is better than what Jesus has to offer, we have mistaken the light, the darkness for light. We have settled for far less than what we were created for. Now, I'm not pretending tonight that to offer up the status quo that we think is working for us or keeping us safe or keeping us on an even keel, I'm not arguing today that that is an easy decision to make. I think we all know that giving up the status quo to follow Jesus into what he's calling us to do, be it a radical surrender, be it a next step that you're aware of in this place tonight that you haven't taken yet. I'm not arguing tonight that that is an easy choice. I'm not pretending it is. It certainly wasn't for the scribes and the Pharisees. And Luke 11, verse 36, Jesus actually acknowledges why. He says this, he says, Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. And when Jesus is talking about a lamp shining its light on you, it's clear that he's not talking about the type of lighting you get in a photo shoot. You know, when you go to a photo shoot, the type of lighting that they give is the lighting that illuminates your bright spots and hides your not so good parts, you know? That's the type of lighting that a photo shoot gives. But that's not the type of lighting that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the type of lighting that exposes, that shows everything. Can I just say today that following Jesus is not like a photo shoot where you get to showcase your best features and hide your worst. If you have been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you know that Jesus doesn't just focus on the best parts of you. When you decide to follow Jesus, it is a whole life, a whole heart, a good, bad, ugly, everything in between. It is a whole life commitment. Jesus gets everything. Jesus gets the whole lot. It's a whole body, a whole life commitment. And friend, for the Pharisees in this story, that would have been really hard. Because remember that 
This meant exposing their hearts to this Jesus. And Jesus had called their hearts whitewashed tombs. He said their lives look like this, pretty on the outside, death on the inside. It meant exposing them to a sort of Jesus who was already confronting them about how their religion was no more than face deep. It didn't impact their entire lives. It meant exposing all of that to Him. It wasn't easy. And so this is what they did in the face of that disease. They chose the status quo. And I wonder how often we do the same. Because this life with Jesus, this walk with Jesus is not a Sunday thing. It is a morning, night, sleeping, waking. Every breath I take commitment and Jesus doesn't just want part of me. He wants it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, it's not photo shoot lighting, which just makes you look good on Sunday and the rest of the week is ignored. Friend, it's the light that exposes everything. And can I just say that so many come face to face with that, face to face with that reality that following Jesus is a radical commitment, not a half-life commitment. And they make the decision that the Pharisees did. They choose the status quo because it seems easier. It seems preferable to stay the same. It seems preferable to just keep coming to church and nothing more. It seems preferable to just hold on to the bitterness. It just seems preferable to not try again with that person. It just seems preferable to not surrender that thing to God, to just keep going exactly the same, exactly the same as status quo. Which brings me to the fourth question. If this is the commitment, why change? Luke 11, 29 to 32. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the, judge, at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. Why change? It's actually really simple because something greater is here. Something greater than what you're used to. Something greater than the status quo. Something greater than your preference. Something greater than your comfort zone. Something greater than the now sacrifice. Something greater than the sting of correction. Something greater than the pain of momentary change. Let me tell you why I embrace change when Jesus asks me to. It is because I am utterly convinced and more convinced by the day that Jesus is greater. And so I'll receive the correction 
because Jesus is greater. And I'll put down the preference of my flesh because Jesus is greater. I'll obey even when I don't want to because Jesus is greater. And I'll follow even when I don't understand because Jesus is greater. You could, you could keep doing the status quo. You could continue to live in your comfort zone. You could stay in the safety of your preference. You could do all those things, but you would deny yourself the path to abundant life because there is only one who is greater and it's Jesus. See, this is why we leave behind what was in order to move into what is. Because the path that Jesus offers is greater. And the reality is that there are people sitting in this room and let me talk to you straight. You've been delaying obedience. You've been delaying doing something that God has asked you to do. Delaying surrendering your life. Delaying step out in, stepping out in faith. Delaying radical obedience. Delaying opening up your heart and working on that thing that was in your heart. And friend, you need to know that you're making the choice of the Pharisees to say that my status quo is better than what Jesus has to offer me. That's not the type of people we are. This church is a people of faith. And so in order to outwork that, friend, you need to leave behind your preference. Leave behind the comfort of your flesh. Leave behind the comfort zone. Leave behind the half-hearted obedience and say, I'm stepping forward. Why? Because the something greater is here and His name is Jesus. I've been yelling so much, I even forgot to get the keyboard up. I'm so sorry. You can definitely, no, we're going to skin and do it dry then. The moment's passed. <laughs> You're delaying obedience. No, just joking. <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> oh, man. But I did feel to challenge you. And can I just say, I know we've got some um, people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time in this house, but I particularly felt to challenge young adults. Young adults in the house who have felt like the Christian journey could be based on your preference or your comfort zone. If our generation is going to experience a move of God, it's going to require radical faith. It's going to require radical surrender. It's going to require a radical hold to the fact that Jesus is greater. And so I want to ask you today in this room, Man, are you prepared to go all in? Are you prepared to go all in? And as I've been talking, I, I know that the Holy Spirit will have been speaking to people and there are things that have been dropped in your heart that you know, you know that you know that you know that you've been called to step out in obedience for and you've been delaying. Friend, can I tell you, you've got enough light and you don't need an excuse to stay the same. But Jesus, the reason Jesus has asked you to take this step is not to cause you pain or sacrifice. It's because He's greater. He's greater. And so with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in this place and you'd say, honestly, yep, that's me. 
I've been delaying going all in. I've been delaying doing that thing. I've been delaying working on my heart. There are some of you and the things that God is asking you to do are actually more tangible. It's like go into that study and take that course of study. It's like quit that job. It's like have that conversation with your mum when you get home. It's like go share the gospel with that person. It's like let go of that pain. It's like invest again in a church in a house of God where you've been holding yourself back. Like for some of you, it's tangible. You have felt the Holy Spirit speak and now your moment is for obedience. I'm asking you, I'm asking you, will you go all in? Will you go all in? And if that's you, I'm not even going to look. My eyes are close too. If that's you, I'm going to ask that just before the Lord, you raise your hand, and then I'm just going to pray for us together. If that's you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, right now we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we say that we desire as a people, as a people of faith, to not be half-hearted. God, right now we say in the name of Jesus that the status quo, that our preference, that our comfort zone, it is not our God. It does not dictate to us the course of our lives. And so today we choose to go another way. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, we choose the narrow road. And we thank you that the narrow road leads to you, leads to the Jesus who is greater. And so right now I pray in the name of Jesus for every person with their hands lifted under the sound of my voice. I pray in the name of Jesus that a new strength would rise upon them. I pray in the name of Jesus that boldness would overtake them. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, because we thank you that where the Holy Spirit is, there is supernatural empowerment, there is supernatural boldness to do that which we are called to do. We ask that we wouldn't be those who sit on the bleachers and watch a move of God, but that in Jesus' name we would be but the ones who stand, who stand for truth, who stand for love, who stand for the gospel, who stand for the kingdom of God. I pray that we would be those of radical surrender who put aside their preference in pursuit of the kingdom of God. I pray that we would be those filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I pray for Monday. I pray for those people who have specific decisions to make. I pray that come tomorrow there would be phone calls made, that there would be applications written, I pray, oh God, that there would be conversations had. I pray that there would be the gospel proclaimed in the name of Jesus. I pray that there would be pain and bitterness let go of. And I pray that healing would come because we believe that you are the something greater. And that the something greater is here amongst us. His name is Jesus. And we give him all honour and all glory in Jesus' name.